Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs. And become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the show. The darkness has found you. Welcome to Season 5, Episode 17. I'm your host, Jason Hill. And what if microphones spoke into people? Hmm. Imagine that. What's up, G's? This is J-Money, kicking it Big Hilly style. Tonight's story comes from author Mike DeFrench, and, as the title will imply... It was very hard to read, and quite, quite long. Me, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> Shall we? <laughs> You're currently listening to the standard edition of this program. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy ad-free versions of this and all our other episodes, as well as hundreds of tales from our audio archives, dating back to 2012, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Come on, guys. Today's the day. You owe it to yourself. Be a patron. Now, allow me to escort you to a place where the sun dies and nightmares come to life. Welcome, listener to the Horror Hill. You haven't found the darkness. The darkness has found you. And now, without further ado, from author Mike DeFrench, I give you the single longest title in Horror Hill history. If your erection lasts longer than four hours, 
or gives you the insatiable desire to murder, please call your doctor. John Henry was on the second vacation he and his wife had taken together. Or the first, sort of, if he didn't count the honeymoon. And he was determined to enjoy himself, even if the effort killed him. But the sweltering sauna that was currently the very air in Clearwater meant it was too damn hot to enjoy anything. Especially now, right at noon in the middle of a record-breaking, hotter-than-hell July. Even his road pop, a to-go beer that was disguised masterfully in a red solo cup, had lost its chill after about five minutes of walking in that heat. But Diane wanted to go window shopping. Wanted to do anything, really. So, here he was. In a crowded tourist trap of a shop, staring at a full wall of Baroque pairs of socks, the kind you'd wear maybe once, just to take a picture of them, or give us a gag gift, and then never put them on again. They were stitched with puns, or dumb quotes, or warped images of decade-old memes and knockoff versions of copyrighted or trademarked characters. A total waste of money, not to mention ridiculously overpriced, and yet it was still some sucker's job to make them, some other sucker's job to stock them in their stores so that some other sucker can buy the useless things. Diane was that last sucker, and he was the sucker that would actually have to pay for them. It's Darwinism, just applied to capitalism, he thought. God bless America. The shop smelled overwhelmingly of cheap gas station incense. It reminded him of the thick sticks of it they used to sell at the head shops back in Broad Ripple, Indiana, a little hippie town not far from Indianapolis he used to haunt as a kid. It was a laugh that his stupid teenage mind ever thought those things disguised the fact that he was smoking pot. The potent smell of the flagrant crap was probably more of a giveaway than the smell of the weed itself. He laughed at his idiot former self while he took another sip of the clandestine warm beer in his hand, and the irony hit him at once. That he was still an idiot who fooled precisely no one at all. But that realization didn't faze him for even a millisecond, and the thought was gone, evaporated, very well as if it had never been thunk. If only it were so easy to ignore other nagging thoughts that currently infested his brain, tainting his mood and potentially even ruining his vacation. The store they were in was one of those shops that lined the streets right by the beaches and boardwalks in these types of places. The only thing that would distinguish this one for the dozens and dozens of others all up and down the road would be the name. He'd glanced at it on their way in, but had already forgotten it. Some lady's name, all stylized in neon tubes that didn't work anymore. Sally's, or Shelley's, or Sheila's. Something like that. The heat was starting to make it hard to think, and the sensory overload from the thousand and one conversations going on simultaneously, and the potent hit-you-in-the-face stench of the incense and the annoying, nagging remembrance of his impotence the previous two nights, and many more over the last couple of months, had John going to his little happy place in his brain. Or, rather, he was wishing that he was drunk enough to get into that happy place. But, alas, the gates to that heavenly realm were blocked for the time being, guarded by angels with flaming swords. And so he was cursed to be an outcast amongst the mortals. He took another gulp of the warm beer, denying to himself that he was actually as bitter as he was. The persistent penetration of the blazing heat from the clear sky, as pleasant as it was to look at, had seemingly not only sapped the cool from the beer, 
but also turned it flat. But flat warm beer was better than no beer, and a happyish wife was better than one filled with passive anger. An anger which had been created by a feeling of not being hot anymore, and made exponentially worse by the clinical FOMO she had which had been brought on by spending the first two full days of her vacation stuck in an 8 by 8 room with wet carpet and a husband that couldn't get it up. Can't get any good Instagram pictures in there, now can you? And the Lord knows, the vacation didn't happen at all if you can't post about it. The forces of the universe seemed to be determined to ruin his vacation, though. First, the endless rain that had gone on from the moment they showed up, then, the issues checking in at the hotel. The impotence. Oh, and don't forget, apparently the Tampa Clearwater area was experiencing a bit of a serial killer issue. Oh yes, that was a real thing that was happening in their vacation spot. However, in a strange way, this fact seemed to add a little excitement to the adventure. A little danger. Something to talk about something to post about. Mmm. Spooky. Honestly, he'd have forgotten that the police were even looking for a killer at all if it wasn't for the constant reminders. The poorly done police sketches plastered all up and down the street at every beach entrance and in every bar. They'd passed one of them on their way in, put up on the door of the shop. A chubby guy with patchy peach fuzz very cartoonish, probably would end up very unhelpful. But it was their third day there, and the weather had cleared up now. The killer thing was easily ignored. Besides, his own issues in the bedroom were taking up all of his thoughts. Didn't really have time to worry about local crime. But, hopefully, that problem would simply resolve on its own, and then things would go back to normal. And if not... Well, there are things you can take for that. It wasn't really that serious. He could still get it up himself, using the internet on his phone for help. So, the issue was almost certainly mental, not physical. Mental things like this, if they didn't just go away on their own after some time, which they normally did, they normally did. Then you could usually just think your way out of it. Plus, the problem hadn't even been going on for that long, and it was one with many, many simple and effective solutions that it really didn't make that much sense to obsess over. But, obsess over it he did. It was really hard, no pun intended, to stop thinking about it. Even though Diane had probably stopped thinking about it by now, it seemed to be coloring everything he thought about, everything he looked at and he knew that it made no sense to hold the contradictory statements of it's not that big a deal and it is literally driving me insane together in his mind simultaneously. He had hoped that perhaps this little romantic getaway would resolve the issue, that maybe it was stress from work that was causing the issue and that getting away would bring the sex life back to normal. It worried him slightly that the issue persisted but he was also convinced that worrying about it all would make the issue drag on. He had to be stress-free. That was the key to getting his mojo back. Thus, the vacation. But they were two nights in, and it wasn't working at all. In fact, the circumstances had seemingly worsened his passive resentment towards Diane and hers towards him and a trip to Clearwater was much more expensive than a bottle of fucking blue pills, which would have probably been the easier way to go. He hadn't wanted to go that route, though. It felt unmanly, truly embarrassing. He was too young to have this problem. It was mental. Of course it was. So why need a pill? Why use a pill to fix an issue like this if it wasn't needed? But now he was wishing he would have filled the prescription Dr. Bob had given him. Just to have brought them along, just to use them once. Maybe then, he'd have his mojo back. It was like a string of bad luck, 
Once he broke the cycle, it would have no sway over him anymore. Maybe he could call up the doc and have him send the prescription to a pharmacy down here. Yeah. If he could get away from Diana for a good 15 minutes and make the call, why did she even have to guilt him into doing this whole window shopping thing with her in the first place? He would have been perfectly content developing a nice buzz back in their hotel room under the creaking, questionably secured ceiling fan while she went out and did whatever it was that she wanted. But she pleaded, and had a way of getting him to do anything he didn't want to do, and this was really the first decent day of sunshine they had since they'd arrived in the sunshine state late on Sunday evening. What do you think of these ones? Diane said, holding up a pair of socks that were stitched with the deformed face of Dwight from the office, and the words, Beats, Bears, Battlestar Galactica. I think Sarah would just love them. Oh, um, yeah, John said. He got out his phone with his free hand and looked at nothing in particular on it. Hey, uh, I gotta take a piss real quick. I'll be right back. Well, do they have a bathroom here? Um, I don't think so. I'm just gonna go stop at the bar we passed on the way here. If they have a paying customers only rule, well... I guess I'll be needing another beer anyway. Okay, Diane said, perusing the sock wall. I'll be here, or in the next one over, unless that serial killer gets me. She was joking, as they both had earlier in the day, but the thought had occurred to him before, probably the biggest reason that he was out here with her instead of back at the hotel. Yes, his wife had a method of begging and pleading that was generally effective at getting him to do whatever it was that she wanted him to do, but when he was on vacation, there were different rules. Here, he had a certain amount of freedom and free agency that could not be impeded on. And so did she. They would leave each other alone and encourage themselves to enjoy their time here in Florida. But she had said that she was worried and that had seemed to do the trick. Maybe he was worried himself. Just keep your phone on, John said, and left. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The bar was a beachfront place not far from their hotel, and only a five or ten minute walk from the main street line of shops he'd just left. It was nice enough, if a little rundown. All open air, some live music playing... A middle-aged balding guy with a decent enough voice playing some Dave and various pop songs on a beat-up-looking acoustic. John would have preferred the silence, or at least have turned down the guy's mic a bit, so he could better enjoy the smell of the salt water and the sounds of beachgoers that otherwise filled the air. A bikini-clad group of young girls, if you could really call what they wore these days a bikini, walked by the bar soaking in the sun rays and the gazes of several men sitting at the edge of the bar that looked out towards the beach path. He thought how he'd love to come back to the beach later, when the shopping was all done. Maybe he'd pick up a nice dark pair of sunglasses at the drugstore, too. He'd called and left a message for the doc on his walk over, saying how he forgot to get the old prescription filled while he was still in Indy and asked if he couldn't have it sent to the CVS that was just up the road from his hotel. And now things were looking pretty good, since it was barely past noon, 
Kind of nice that Indy and Florida were on the same time, he thought. And at this point, it was highly likely that he'd be able to get the little blue pills before tonight, break this damn curse, and move on with his life. Even if he couldn't get them today, well, for sure the next day. And they still had three more nights after that. Plenty of time to turn the energy of this vacation, and his marriage, around. So, as he drank a new cold beer at the bar, sitting right up in front of a fan, his mood was rapidly improving. In fact, as he was about halfway through a local IPA, Sunburst Tuna, he'd almost completely stopped replaying the feelings of inadequacy from the other night. He started to feel a bit normal again. A bit like how he felt before any of this ever started happening. And just one second later, that was precisely the moment that everything went completely fucked up. At first, John didn't even recognize that the guy, a white guy with surfer dude long hair, shirtless and ripped with many tribal-looking tattoos all over his chest and arms, was talking to him. He had sat down next to John up at the bar right beside him. Even though there were plenty of seats open where a respectable space could be had between the strangers, picking a seat at a bar was often like picking which urinal to piss in. If there was enough empty ones to leave a space, you left the space. What kind of fucking weirdo chose to piss right next to someone else who was also pissing? He just didn't do that. But John was sort of hogging the best seat, the one with the fan, and it was so damn hot. So he didn't really blame the guy that much. John still gave off his normal fragrance of don't talk to me though, so he was still surprised when the guy leaned over just after ordering one of the sunburst tuna himself. Hey man, he said, I know that you're gonna think this is like really weird and everything, but I work for Madame Ophir here in town and she knows about the problem you're having. You... what? You know... He glanced down at John's shorts and then back up to his face. That problem, man. John's reaction on the inside did not match his exterior expression whatsoever. On the inside, he'd just about gone full Hulk, and a part of his imagination was vividly detailing pummeling the surfer bro. But... His face was cool, and he drank his beer, seemingly barely noticing the kid at all. Yeah, John said. I don't know what you're talking about. And John moved his whole attention back to his sweating glass, almost cupping it with both hands. He even turned his shoulders so that his posture would communicate to the dude bro that he had zero interest in talking. But, somehow, the guy couldn't take a hint. He leaned closer. John could smell the mixture of ocean water and body odor coming from his chest. It didn't smell all that bad, to be honest. Kind of nice, actually. He almost wished he could smell like that. And then, the guy cleared his throat a bit and lowered his voice. Look, man, he said, almost in a whisper now. It's not a big deal, man. Happens to us all. And I just overheard is all. Now John was real angry. Oh, and what the fuck exactly did you overhear? He asked, posturing his shoulders up and now so as to be broad and intimidating, and sucking in his beer gut so as to resemble his younger football-playing self. The self that could easily Hulk smash this little surfer twerp. He bet he still could, though. Just wanted to make sure the kid understood that fact as well. What the fuck are you on about? It worked. The kid seemed to instantly get the hint now, sensing that he had probably stepped over a line of some kind, and that it was time for him to leave. He leaned away and made to go, but not without a departing gift. Just use this, 
He slapped something down on the table, a tiny little baggie with some pinkish powder in it. It's your himbe. Well, mostly, anyway. It's all natural. Way better than that pharma shit, at least. Come by Madame Ophir's if you want more. And then, Surfer Bro pushed himself away from the bar, hopped off the stool, and strolled out towards the beach. John stared after him until he disappeared into the wandering groups of people walking the beach and building sandcastles. He picked up the baggie with just the slightest of curiosity, even though every part of him, the instinctual part that sole purpose was to urge against the ingesting of unknown substances, to, you know, keep him alive, told him to toss that shit in the trash. Now. But the strangeness of the encounter had him curious, and the powder seemed to have a slight magical weight to it, an importance of some kind, from the weird fairy tale quality of that interaction, perhaps. He was so angry in the moment that the idea didn't come to him until much later. The fact that he'd never spoken a word about his problem out loud. Even if that kid had overheard the message he'd left at the doc's office on his way over, he never said anything about not being able to get it up. He said stuff like, didn't fill prescription, but made no mention of what the actual prescription was for. Somewhere, he had intuited this fact, because he pocketed the baggie instead of throwing it away, even though his conscious mind regarded it as akin to poison, for all he knew. A moment later the bartender brought back a fresh sunburst tuna and asked where the young guy had gone. John shrugged and finished his beer before heading back to his wife. It's fine. Seriously, Diane said. Let's just watch a movie. Okay. Um, that's great. Fine, John said, trying and doing moderately well, all things considered, to keep his temper down. No, it's not fine. I've got a piss. I'll be right back. John, really, I'll pick out a movie. We can watch something after, he said, shooting a drunken grin at his naked wife, bouncing his eyebrows a little bit dorkishly. His anger, at least in this moment, was properly directed towards himself and not the gorgeous woman laying on their hotel room bed, tanned bare skin showing in seductive patches between the white sheets. He wanted her, and that was the biggest part of his frustration. It made no damn sense. He wanted her. He knew he wanted her. She wanted him. They'd had what turned out to be a very pleasant day. Gone to the beach, bought some crap, had a great and filling dinner filled with good conversation, talks like they used to have. Back when they were still learning about each other. Something enlightening and engrossing and engaging. They'd stumbled back to the room and took each other's clothes off while passionately kissing. There was no reason at all that little John downstairs wasn't standing at attention. No fucking reason at all. And so, with that bit of frustration bottled up in him, aimed at a limp and unresponsive body part, he scooted to the bathroom, making sure to secretly drag his balled-up shorts with his foot as he went. The hotel room was so small that it was only about three steps. He didn't think that Diane noticed him doing it, but he didn't really care either way. It was going to end tonight he decided, as he closed the bathroom door behind him and bent down, feeling through the pockets of his khaki shorts. I can't take it anymore. Even if it kills me, this curse is done. Of that, he was certain. If not certain, then at least determined. But the plan had changed. The doc never got back to him. He even called again, following up towards the winding down period of the afternoon 
about four o'clock when he was starting to get nervous that maybe his masterful plan wasn't going to work. He'd also lost the patient attitude, the one that said, It's all right, man. If it's got to wait until tomorrow night, no big deal. Diane was to blame for that change of heart. She hadn't ended up buying the socks, thank God for that, but she had bought five or six new bikinis and insisted on a try-on demonstration of them before they went to dinner. It was shortly after that that John had checked the CVS app repeatedly and then called the doctor's office yet again. But he was sent to the answering machine, just as before, to leave a message. A nurse will get back to you. But if you leave your message after four o'clock, please be aware that you might not hear back until the following business day. If you are experiencing a medical emergency, then please hang up and call 911. Thanks for fucking nothing, man. He had a good buzz on at this point, too. Not a good one, as in he currently felt good about anything at all, aside from the loveliness of his wife's body. In fact, he was starting to suspect that perhaps the alcohol was working against him in this specific scenario, an IQ over 120 level deduction, no doubt, but rather a good one in the sense that he was drunk, and he was drunker than he wanted to be, drunker than he had intended to be, and that did not help his anger, nor, apparently, his flaccid penis. But it did do something, Something he had not expected it to, and something he had not intended it to do, and something for which many an alcoholic had gotten clean from the stuff. That little voice in his head, that little intuition, the one that was trying to keep him alive by rejecting the unknown substance handed to him by a stranger at a bar in a city he'd never been to before. That little voice was easily squashed and smothered, so that its squeaky, beeping sounds were like the muffled noise of a text message notification sounding off in the room across the hall. It meant nothing, at least not anything that was pertinent to his waking mind. That survival voice, that voice of the proverbial Jiminy Cricket, and also the voice of your own parents and caretakers and any disciplinarian or loving babysitter you've ever had in your life, as well as the collective voice of survival itself, evolved from such circumstances just described, which were passed down and embedded in the human DNA, that voice was simply overpowered by the potent mixture of the need to rid himself of this sensation of shame and the many beers he'd had had and not yet pissed out of his system. The little pipsqueak that wanted to make sure he stayed alive had been manhandled by the desire to be erect, to satisfy his woman and himself, and to spread his seed, his genes. It was a more primal voice now that took control, one that was more consuming than the voice of survival. This was the voice of generational survival, of continuation. And he took that little baggie out of his shorts pocket and stared at it as he drunkenly wobbled back and forth in that cramped little bathroom, naked and sweaty, and drunk, and flaccid. And the feeling, that magical feeling of weight and importance that the bag of powder had exuded when he first touched it back at the bar, it was magnified now by a thousand. Diane was asleep beside him, beads of sweat still standing out on her breasts as they slowly moved up and down with the rhythm of her deep, satisfied breaths. She had these funny tan lines on them from where the bikini covered her skin, leaving it the pale tone she was in the winter. Last summer, she'd gone tanning at a place just before the start of the summer, so she didn't have this problem. You go topless in those tanning beds, he guessed, but he thought it was cute. The smell of the sweat and sex filled the room and was swept around and around by the flow of the air coming from the squeaking fan. He breathed it in deeply. It had been how many months since the last time they'd done it? He'd forgotten the smell of sex and found it superbly refreshing. It brought him back to when they first started hooking up, 
to the time they'd gotten busy in the back of his tiny Hyundai and subsequently both swore off of ever having sex in a car again. Back to doing it in her parents' basement before they'd got the apartment off of 86th Street. Back to when sex and love and adventure had all been intertwined and became some whole, new, perfect thing. That didn't really happen anymore, he reflected, listening to the sound of the fan, of Diane's deep, contented breaths, of the slight wind outside the glass doors that led, eventually, to the ocean. No, these days, sex had turned into just something he had to do every now and then because his hand got boring after enough weeks. Diane seemed only to do it because she was expected to, and only then, after some serious persistence on John's part. But tonight had been nothing at all like those mundane charades of sex that had become routine, and John's heart was still pounding triumphantly in his chest. The lovemaking had been fierce, ferocious, practically unlike anything they'd done in their five years of being together. It was animalistic almost, driven by pure passion. And he hadn't pulled out at the end either, a fact that had not yet entirely sunken in. The effect of the magic drug had been instantaneous. He wasn't really sure what to do with it or how to take it. He'd done a little quick Google search of the substance earlier in the day with little reward. The kid had called it Yahimbe. What fuck if John knew how to spell it? From what he could tell, it was some kind of a tree, the bark of some tree in Africa or something. Who knew how the kid had got it? Or who the hell Madame What's-Her-Face was doing hawking it around town, or how the kid even knew to give it to him. Again, he recalled the magical sensation of holding it when he first picked it up. Might have well have been magical. Holy shit! John had simply snorted the magical boner powder, unsure of what ingestion method was proper for such a thing. But, in his experience, drugs given to you in powder form were generally snorted, though the alcohol had lessened his sense of self-preservation and the repeated shame had given him a new courage to try anything to win this battle, he'd still only done a little bump from the bag. Stuck only his pinky into the bag, got a little pinch of it up to his nose, and inhaled deeply. Burned like hell for a second. But after that... After that... He was... Alive. Fuck, it was still there, coursing through his veins, coming in waves. His heartbeat, the one of triumph from having conquered this stupid curse, this string of bad luck, the triumph of having turned a flaccid dick into a fleshy, throbbing Excalibur of satisfaction, that heart was going to explode soon. As the high of his sexual victory had waned, he realized how frickin' jazzed up he still was. That's when he realized a few startling facts all at once. The first thing that he noticed, other than the pounding heart in his chest and sensation of having so much energy that his eyes might burst out of his skull at any moment, was that his vision had gone a bit funky. Things looked a bit... psychedelic. The hard edges of everything around him had this rainbowy, shimmering visual effect going on. And, if he shifted his focus from one side of the room to the other, things got all stretched out, like a glitchy motion blur effect. He also noticed that his skin was red hot, like a million degrees even. He was completely nude, and the fan was on full blast, and the AC was cranking out cool air, but when he touched the flesh of his chest, it was fever hot. The other thing that he noticed was that his cock had become rock solid yet again. Painfully so. But he didn't have time to worry about any of these things, because before he could even register them properly in his mind, the animal came back. But whereas before the animal wanted to fuck, to reproduce, to spread its seed, this one wanted something else. God, he tried to resist the primal urges but was failing more every second, like an alcoholic staring at a mini-fridge full of bottles of booze. 
a billion and one rationalizations coursing through their mind all at once. Good God. It was like trying to hold your breath. At a certain point, it just became impossible. He struggled with every fiber of his being, everything in his soul. He had to stop himself, but time was running out. He had to think, and think fast. The first instinct he had was to just get up and drink. Like, seriously, drink. Drink himself into unconsciousness so that even if he wanted to, he couldn't do what the animal was telling him to do. But he had maybe eight beers left, not close enough to knock himself out. Plus, the animal was making him so... alive. He doubted if the alcohol would have any effect at all. Then, the animal made its desires known again. The urge was stronger this time. Fuck. He looked at his lovely wife, her naked body, his mouth watered. Fuck. Just get up and run. That was the option. To stay here was... Well, he looked back at Diane, that sweet skin, that way her body moved from the breaths. That warm, warm, hot blood that must be running, dripping inside the skin. The delicious... Just fucking run out into the ocean. That's it. That's what it's going to take. Just get up and go and keep going while you still have control. Just go, 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 go! His hand trembled as he opened the glass door and ran out into the dark night, not sure which way was the ocean, but anywhere. Anywhere at all, he just had to be away from her. He ran out into the urban jungle of the beach town, naked, feeling primal and alive and hungry. Oh, so very hungry. He was pretty sure that he was still technically asleep as he listened to the sounds of the ocean waves and the seagulls and the whispers of a few dudes standing right above him. It was the water crashing up his bare legs, all the way up to his crotch, that finally woke him up. That, and a few nudges from someone's foot. The confusion was deep for about thirty seconds before he remembered who he was, and that he was a person and on vacation, and supposed to be wearing clothes. When he woke up, John Henry had a hangover like nothing he'd ever experienced in his life, and he was a good hundred yards into the sprint back to his hotel room before he truly believed he wasn't dreaming. Normally, when you wake up naked in public with no recollection of why you're there, or how you got there, you're dreaming, not in waking reality. The night before was a black hole in his memory. It was early in the morning. The sun had barely started to rise, so that was lucky. The beaches weren't very populated yet, and some surfer bros had the decency to wake him up. They'd done it so nonchalantly that he swore it wasn't their first time finding a nude man passed out on the shores. Hey man, one of them had said. You're gonna like wanna get, dude before any cops get called, man. And get he did. He'd never run like that in his life. When he finally got back to his hotel room, he had in his mind the best excuse that he could think of. Just went out for a morning skinny dip before the beaches filled up. Nothing like going out in the great ocean in your birthday suit. But through some stroke of luck, Diane was asleep still and he was able to sneak in without waking her and went straight to the shower to rid himself of the mud and sand that caked his body. It was while he was in the shower that he found all that red gunk stuck under his fingernails, and it was later, when he was brushing his teeth, that he found those clumps of long, blonde hair stuck between his teeth. These were things that he buried deep in his mind, deep into the subconscious, never fully acknowledging. But still, he cleaned himself off very thoroughly. 
A week later, the locals in Clearwater were still talking about the latest murder. More gruesome than the others, apparently. Robbie didn't really listen to the rumors, but he heard them come out of the gossiping mounds around him nonetheless. There were literally bites, man! Chunks taken out of her arm! Oh my god. Uh-huh. At first they thought it might have been a shark attack. Normally, rumors would exaggerate the nasty details, but here they were made more tame, so there wasn't much point to listen to them. They just didn't know what they were talking about. He'd never read a newspaper in his life, and never planned to either. Besides, he knew more than the rumors or newspapers would ever know. He knew the true extent of the violence. Hell, he even knew who the killers were. Madame Ophir picked them out. He wasn't sure how she did that. Asking questions wasn't in his nature, which was probably why she liked him so much. But once she'd picked them out, Robbie'd go and just very casually slip them the good stuff. He marveled again at the way it happened as he sat waiting at the bar at Carlton's on 7th. Like clockwork, every time never failing. A man. His name, Madame Ophir had said in that trance-like voice she always had. Jerry, red shirt with buttons at Carlton's Bar and Grill on 7th. He will be accompanied by a woman in a white dress. She will leave. Give him the good stuff. He was good at his job because he never asked questions and could follow the old crone's simple directions. It was only once every few weeks. She'd say, go give this old limp fuck this bag of boner juice, then come see me again in twenty days. Piece of cake. And had plenty of time for surfing the rest of the time. Definitely beat school. The chick in the white dress got up finally. Robbie swooped in and took the seat next to Limp Dick. Hey, man, he said, leaning in and keeping his voice down. Look, I know this is going to sound weird. You've been listening to If Your Erection Lasts Longer Than Four Hours or gives you the insatiable desire to murder, please call your doctor. Written by Mike DeFrench. Mike DeFrench is a writer who lives in Indiana with his wife and two kids. He enjoys reading, writing, and all things nerdy. His books are mostly horror or suspense with science fiction elements. All proceeds from the books go towards purchasing craft beer. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to me. If you'd like to hear more lengthy tales, be sure to take a look at my audiobooks, available now on audible.com. If you'd like to hear a premium, ad-free edition of tonight's and all our other episodes, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com, where you can become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive, dating back to 2012, including past episodes of this program, all of our other shows, and hundreds of standalone releases, all of them ad-free and available to download or stream. Thanks so much for your time, and for giving our sponsors a try today. When you support our sponsors, you support this show, and that also means a lot to me. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You'll find me personally on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Until next week, listener, 
when we meet up once again atop the horror hill for yet another dance with darkness. I bid you good night. Sleep tight, listener. And whatever you do, if you hear scratching at your door, don't open it. The darkness may have found you, but it's up to you to let it in. You've been listening to Horror Hill, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, as well as a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Jason Hill unless otherwise noted. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Sound design, original music, and final mixing and mastering provided by Felipe Ojeda under the guidance of executive producer and director Craig Groshek. The program's logo was created by Craig Groshek, and this week's artwork provided by Omega Black, unless otherwise noted. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at horrorhill at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tone considered for production in a future episode of the show. If you enjoyed what you've heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and Horror Hill on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every week. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or request. If you can never get enough spooky stories and can't wait until next week for more, and haven't already, be sure to check out Chilling Tales for Dark Nights on YouTube for hundreds of free audio horror stories, including more performances from yours truly, and consider supporting us by becoming a patron at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com. In addition to helping us out, You'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next week with more frightening fiction to haunt your dreams. Until next time, I'm Jason Hill, and you've been listening to the Horror Hill Podcast. Good evening, and sweet dreams. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.